Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no hope beyond the grave, then Christians are fools. Because to follow Jesus, you know what it involves? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. To follow Jesus involves laying down your life, giving up your own desires, giving over control of your life for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. It involves things like enduring suffering, enduring offense in order to build up the body of Christ, in order to carry out Christ's mission in the world. And the reward for this, even Jesus told us, will not be given to us in this life. So if there is no life after death, if this is all there is and there's nothing after it, we are pitiable fools, sacrificing our lives for nothing, when instead we could be carrying on for our own immediate pleasures rather than living for heavenly rewards. And yet, Paul says in verse 20, that is not the case because, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus' resurrection wasn't just an isolated event, right? It isn't just good for him, he defeated death, and that's it, right? It's just something he did. No, no Jesus' resurrection was not an isolated event. Rather, it was the beginning of something much bigger. Paul refers to it as the first fruits, like in a garden or in a farmer's field. It, you plant your seeds and you wait. And then we, the first fruits are the, is that first batch of produce that is produced. And those first fruits, you know what they are? They're not a sign that the harvest is over and there won't be anything else. No, no, the first fruits are the sign that the harvest is just about to begin, that the harvest is just around the corner, and there's a lot more like this on the way. So Jesus' resurrection wasn't just his own personal triumph over death. His resurrection was a preview of coming attractions. It was a sign of what is to come. So just as Jesus resurrected to new life in a physical, glorified body, so we too will be resurrected to new life in physical, glorified bodies. Look at verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Just as Adam was our forerunner, the pioneer who went before us and paved the way for us to follow, the only problem is, all of us have followed in the way that he paved, and that way has led to sin, death, and destruction. But now we have Jesus, our new pioneer, paving a different way for us. He has gone before us and paved the way for resurrection and new life, eternal life. Now, both Adam and Jesus were representatives, is what this verse is saying. They were representatives whose actions had implications for all those who came after them. Now, we are in Adam by nature. We, we are born into connection with Adam. But in order to be born into connection with Jesus, you have to be born again. In order to be in Christ, you have to be born again. Notice what it says in verse 22. In Christ 
shall all be made alive. Now, this is an interesting verse, verse 22, because some people look at this and they say, wait, wait a second. So is logically it's saying that just as Adam's actions had implications which affected all people universally, then does that mean that Jesus' actions also had universal application? Meaning that just as in Adam, all people came under condemnation, in the same way, because of Jesus' actions, therefore, all people, whether they want it or not, will be redeemed and raised up to new life. Well, the answer is no. That's not what this is saying. But it does mean this. See, here's the thing you do need to know. Everyone will be resurrected, but not everyone will be resurrected to eternal life. So if you look at John chapter 5, verse 29, Jesus is speaking there, and he says, Everyone will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected to the resurrection uh, to life, and others will be resurrected to the resurrection to judgment. In the book of Acts, chapter 24, we read about the resurrection, how there will be a resurrection of all people, both the unjust and the just. So all people who have ever lived will be resurrected to stand before God on Judgment Day. The question is whether you will be resurrected to eternal life or to judgment. In other words, no matter who you are, at the end of this life, it is not the end of you. When your life here on earth, your physical body dies, that is not the end of you, no matter who you are. All of us will stand before God to give an account of what we did with our lives. The difference is that those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus and what he did for you to save you, if that's you, then when you stand before God, you know what you will have? You will have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, right, who has given his righteousness to you. It's been imputed to you, paid to your account because of your faith and trust, your reception of his grace. And so you will have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, on that day when you stand before God. On the other hand, those who have not put their faith in Jesus, they will stand before God on their own, without an advocate, on the day of judgment. Which is why I would plead with, I would plead with anyone who isn't sure where they're at with God, that today you can know, right? You can settle that issue in your heart and your mind. You can put that to rest. You can put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and through him be reconciled to God, forgiven and declared righteous with a righteousness that is not your own by your own works, by your own doing, but one which comes through faith in him. So all will be resurrected, some to eternal life, some to judgment. So we need to make sure that we're ready for that. But here in this section, just understand, Paul is specifically referring to those who will be resurrected to eternal life. He's not really talking about those who will be resurrected to judgment just because he's speaking to believers and he's talking about those who will be resurrected to eternal life. Now you can tell that by looking at verse 23. Look at what it says in verse 23. But each in its own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Jesus has been the first fruits of those raised from the dead to new and everlasting life. And when he returns, we too will be raised. Now this is described for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, where it says this. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then verse 17, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now by saying that Jesus is the first fruits of those who will be resurrected, Understand, that doesn't mean that Jesus is the first person to ever be raised from death to life. We read about several people in the Bible, actually, like in 1 Kings chapter 17. We read about a widow who had a son who died, and Elijah the prophet came, and the power of God through Elijah caused him to come back to life. Uh, in the Gospel of John chapter 11, we read about Lazarus, who was a friend of Jesus. He died, and he was brought back to life. You know, I just think about Lazarus, right? He must have been bummed out, right? There he is in the presence of the Lord, enjoying it, and then he gets like yanked back down to earth. And if you remember the verse, do you remember that verse? It's one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. It says, Jesus, you should have come. It's been four days, and by now our brother stinks, right? It says uh, in the King James, it says, he stinketh. This is wonderful King James English. You know, here he is in heaven, and then all of a sudden, oh, great, here I am back in the stinky body where I was before. I thought I got away from this thing. And then guess what? A few years later, he had to die again. What a bummer, right? It's bad enough to die once. You got to die twice. You know, in all those other cases where people were brought from death to life, you see, those people were brought back to life in their same body. And eventually, they had to die again a few years later. None of them are around right now. Jesus' resurrection was different. Jesus was resurrected into a glorified body. We're going to talk more about that next week in our study, looking at the end of this chapter. What will our glorified bodies be like? That's what we'll look at next week. Hey, Pastor Nick here. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. I've written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, I deal directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, or whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities? Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there actual proof that God exists and that the Bible is trustworthy? I address these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or who has concerns about these topics. And it's a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. And to celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as a gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now back to today's message. But Jesus was resurrected into a glorified body, never to die again. Verse 24 begins like this. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, the Bible tells us what is God's ultimate plan for all of history. In other words, God is causing all of history. There's a direction, there's a trajectory, there's a goal, there's an aim. It's all building up towards and working towards something. What is it? 
Here's what it is. God's ultimate plan. Everything that's all building up towards is this. When the moment, when in the fullness of time, God will unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. That's what Paul's describing here in 1 Corinthians 15, how all of world history is moving towards and building up to this point when Jesus will sit on the throne and rule as king over all the universe for all of eternity. And he will do this, it says there at the end of that same verse, verse 24, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So right now in the world, there are different bodies, if you will, or different entities which have some degree of power and authority, right? So some human beings and human institutions have a measure or a degree of authority or power. Even demonic forces, even Satan has been allowed to have some degree of authority or power in the world as it stands right now. But that authority is temporary. It will not always be this way. There is a time coming, it says here, when Jesus will take his rightful place as, it says in, verse, in 1 Timothy 6, as the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In other words, Jesus' resurrection was important. And here's why. It was essentially, it was like the first domino in a domino effect. It was the, the event which set in motion a series of events which will happen one after another, the one leading to the next, which will culminate in the new heavens and the new earth, which is how the Bible describes heaven. Look at verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In other words, all of human history has a trajectory. It's going somewhere. It's building up to something. The thing it's building up to is this point when God is going to abolish death forever. And those who are in Christ, every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. That, my friends, that is the hope of the gospel. Resurrection, eternal life, heaven. Right? That is the hope that we have in Jesus. And the reason you can be sure that that will really happen is because Jesus resurrected and he is the first fruits. And the promise Jesus gave, do you remember it? What he said to Lazarus' sister there at the tomb before he raised him from the grave, he said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What an important question. That's a question that you need to sit with and think through today if you haven't yet. Not only is this the truth, the hope of the gospel, but in order for you to receive it, you need to believe it. So that's the question. Do you believe it? The promise and the hope of the gospel is that for those who trust in Jesus, death doesn't get the final word. This life is not all there is. In Jesus, there is hope beyond the grave. And in this last section, we're going to look at, okay, so what is that? How does that work out practically in our lives? How does it change your day tomorrow? How does it look like moving forward? So that brings us to the last part of our sentence, which is this. The fact that Jesus resurrected means that in him, there is hope for us beyond the grave, and this hope alone gives meaning and direction to our lives. In verses 29 through 34, Paul is going to ask a series of rhetorical questions 
to press home the practical implications of how belief in the resurrection gives meaning and direction to our lives. So let's, let's look at this. First he says, verse 29, Otherwise, if there is no resurrection, then why do people get baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their, on their behalf? Good question. Let's move on, right? Like, no, I'm just kidding. You guys probably want to, you probably want to hear something about that, right? All right, listen. For a lot of people, it's a pretty weird verse, okay? Confusing verse. What is he talking about? Like, is he suggesting or, or telling us that we need to get baptized on behalf of the dead? It seems kind of weird. It's like the only verse in the Bible that talks about this. The Mormon church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they take this verse, and based on this verse, they do this. So this is why they're so into genealogy. They go into their genealogy, they find out who their ancestors were, and they essentially get baptized like in absentia for their deceased loved ones. But I want you to notice a few things about this passage. Notice that Paul is not recommending this practice. He's not saying that we should do this. He's just stating that some people do it. The thing here, you'll notice he refers to it as something that other people do, right? So he's not saying that this is something that we do or something that you do. He says something that people do, whoever they are. You know, they're not us, but there's other people out there who do this. You see, historical scholars tell us that the practice of being baptized for the dead was a pagan practice. It wasn't a Christian practice. Now you might say, but it's in the Bible. Well, yeah, it's in the Bible mentioned as a pagan practice that pagans did, not as something that Christians did. And here's what Paul's saying with this verse, and here's his whole point. He's saying, look, even your pagan neighbors believe that there is life after death, otherwise they wouldn't get baptized for the dead. And, of, and Paul's saying, of course there's life after death. The Bible teaches it. Jesus promised it. And it's just so deeply ingrained in the heart and mind of every human being that even, even people who don't know God, they have a sense that there must be more than just this life. And the evidence of that is even the pagans get baptized for the dead. They believe that there's life after death. And now Paul uses his own life in the next few, few verses to uh, give an example of the practical implications of the hope of eternal life. Verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? Uh, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Think about it like this. For the person who does not have the hope of the resurrection, the hope of eternal life through Jesus, for that person, the good moments in this life, that is as good as it will ever get. So I hope you enjoyed it, right? Remember that time the Broncos won the Super Bowl a couple years ago? Hope you liked it because it's pretty much downhill from there, right? It's just that was it. It's all downhill from there, right? But, but for the person who, who does have the hope of the resurrection... The worst moments of this life, the biggest pains, the greatest suffering, that is as bad as it will ever get. That's why Paul can say in his letter to the Romans, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. You know, if all this life is, do you remember this line from Macbeth, Shakespeare's Macbeth? He says, you know what life is? Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. If that's all life is, then you know what? Then you need to, to just live a small, selfish life 
and just grab every little morsel of pleasure you can right now because before you know it, it's going to be over and this is as good as it's ever going to get. But if, as Paul has been saying here, if human history actually does have a purpose, a direction, a trajectory, if it actually is going somewhere and building up to something that will last for all of eternity, then you know what? Then the things you do here in this life, they actually matter. And you can actually make a difference with your actions right now. You can make a difference that will last for all of eternity. See, the hope of the resurrection, you know what it does? It sets you free to be generous to serve and to give because you know why? You know that joy and pleasures and true riches await you at his hand forevermore in eternity in heaven. The hope of the resurrection gives you healthy expectations when it comes to how you relate to people and to things. You know, sometimes we can... We can place sky-high expectations on people or on things, right? We can look to people and say, fill up what is lacking in me. Do it. Or we can look to things. I hope that this thing will fill up what is lacking in my heart and in my, my life. But you see, when you understand the hope of the resurrection, it prevents you from having sky-high expectations that no person and no things can ever meet because the hope of the resurrection helps you understand that your deepest desires, they will be met. They will be fulfilled, but not in this life. They will be fulfilled by God in heaven. And when you know that, you know what it does? It sets you free to love people and use things without using people and loving things. The hope of the resurrection gives endurance to us in the face of trials and hardships because you know that the best is yet to come and the day is coming when Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and he will set all things right. And Paul concludes this saying with an interesting part. He says this, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Why does he say this here? Well, think about it. Where did the Corinthians get this idea that there is no life after death? You think they got it from reading the Bible? Right? They're just reading the Bible and they said, you know what? Maybe there is no life after death. That's not how it happened, right? If they would have been reading the Bible, they, they would have not concluded that. Did they get it from hanging out with the apostles? No. Did they get it from going to church? No, clearly they've been influenced, but not by the scriptures and not by the people of God. Obviously, they've been influenced by associating with Jews who didn't believe in the resurrection like the Sadducees or with Greek pagan philosophical types who didn't believe in the resurrection. You see, it was bad enough that by keeping company with these people, their thinking about the resurrection had, been so had become so messed up. But, but think about this. If their thinking about the resurrection had been so easily influenced, if their theology had been so easily influenced by this company they were holding, then they better watch out because what other ways is this bad company going to influence them? Think about this. Remember, we've, we've been studying through this book for a while. How many of the Corinthians' problems could be explained by this one verse? Evil company corrupts good habits. If the Corinthians were hanging around with pagans and unbelievers to the extent that they were influenced in their beliefs about the resurrection, life after death, then couldn't it be that maybe the source of a lot of their other problems is also this bad company they've been having? 
Think about the other areas that Paul's been addressing in their behaviors and their beliefs. Pride, immorality, greed, selfishness. It makes you wonder how much of their thinking was shaped by keeping company with people who did not encourage them in the ways of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, in general, but particularly this week, okay? I want to encourage you this week to spend time in the Word of God and with the people of God. You need both. In the Word of God and with the people of God. We have so many opportunities for you to do that here at the church. You've probably heard us talk about them a lot. But here's the thing. I hope you'll actually do it, and here's why. Because I hope that for you and me, rather, rather than being conformed to the thinking and the mentalities of this world, as the Corinthians were, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds according to the will of God. So friends, the fact that Jesus resurrected, it means that in him there is hope for us beyond the grave, and this hope alone gives meaning and direction to our lives. Would you please bow your heads with me? You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.